chapter 26, we started this new journey of being joyful at all times. It's so important to be joyful at all times because this is our battery juice. This is what gives us the reserve and the strength to stay on top of our game in combating the evil within and without and to serve Hashem properly. We always have to have joy. The thing is, there's a lot of deterrence to joy. So chapter 26, we looked at physical reasons to be sad. We looked at spiritual reasons to be sad, which was sadness from sins. And the altar Rebbe gave us methods how to deal with that. Chapter 27, last chapter, we had a new type of spiritual sadness that was really not our fault. And this was sadness from a spiritual reason, not because we sinned, not because we created the separation between ourselves and Hashem, but the sadness was from the fact that we are visited by stray thoughts, sinful thoughts or desires that we didn't initiate. And the Altar Rebbe told us, hey, that's not a reason to be sad. Here is yet another reason to be happy. I think starting from chapter 26, we learned lots of new and interesting reasons to be happy. And here was yet another reason to be happy. You're visited by sinful thoughts or desires. Well, guess what? Now you have the ability to fulfill the injunction. You shall not stray after your heart and after your eyes. Here's another reason to be happy. It's sad they can't do that. Only you who has a dark side can fulfill this injunction that when you're visited by a sinful thought or desire, you can immediately divert your attention. You can immediately thrust that thought out of your mind. And in this way, you fulfill a positive command because somebody who resists uh, transgressing, it's like he fulfilled a mitzvah. But this chapter, we're dealing with something different. Now, we're dealing with not when we're going about our daily affairs and then suddenly we're visited by a sinful thought or desire, and so now we have a mitzvah opportunity. Here, we are already in the middle of a mitzvah. We're in the middle of serving Hashem. We're in the middle of praying. We're in the middle of studying Torah. And now we are visited by a stray thought. This can't be a reason to be happy. This is very worrisome. This is something that can distract us from doing a mitzvah. So the Altarab is going to help us deal with that. So here a person is in the middle of doing a mitzvah and they're visited by a thought that's disturbing the mitzvah. This might be a very good reason to be sad. And again, the Altarab is going to tell us don't be sad and how to deal with this. So we're in chapter 28. You printed it out from Chabad.org. Otherwise, you can just listen along with me. Chapter 28. In the previous chapter, the Altar Rebbe taught us that the Benoni should not be distressed by the occurrence of sinful thoughts in his mind. On the contrary, he ought to rejoice, for by repulsing these thoughts and promptly averting his mind from them, he fulfills the commandment of not going astray after one's heart, and thereby crushes the spirit of the Sitra Akhra, consequently causing intense divine pleasure. However, this reasoning can only be applied when such thoughts occur to the Benoni while engaged in his material pursuits. If, however, they occur to him while in the service of God, meaning while praying or studying the Torah, they are certainly no cause for rejoicing since they distract him from his divine service. How is he to deal with them in this case? This is the subject of chapter 28. Even if lustful imaginings or other extraneous thoughts occur to him during his service of God in Torah or prayer with Kavana. So he is in the middle of serving God. He's either studying Torah or he's praying with Kavana. Kavana means intention. So I think we should stop for a minute and look at the idea of praying with intention. 
A lot of women are under the false impression that they don't have to pray. So halakhically, this is not true. Women are obligated to pray. This obligation is a privilege. Hashem says, I want to hear from you every single day. Come talk to me. I've heard many women say, I'm too busy to daven, too busy to pray. I don't have time. Well, that reminds me of the story of a man who's walking through the forest and he sees a guy hard at work trying to chop down the tree, working and working and working, sweating. It's taking him so long to chop down that one tree. So he comes closer and he notices that the axe the man is using is blunt. It might as well have been a metal rod. And he says to him, excuse me, sir. And he said, I can't talk to you right now. I'm busy. I'm busy working. He said, sir, I can't talk right now. Sir, why don't you sharpen your axe? Me sharpen my axe? I don't have time to sharpen my axe. Well, if you would take a few minutes to sharpen your axe, you'd be a lot more effective in chopping down trees. So when we say we're too busy to pray, it's like the person who will not take the time to sharpen their axe. We take just a few minutes every day in the morning to pray and focus on our relationship with Hashem. This sharpens our axe. It gives us fresh reserve and will be a lot more effective in accomplishing everything else that we need to accomplish. So specifically because we're so busy, that's why we should definitely take the time to pray. Now, what does it mean to pray with intention? There's two aspects to having kavana intention when we're davening. The very basic intention is the intention that I am praying in order to talk to Hashem. Hashem commanded me to show up. There's been a godly summons. He said, come talk to me. And in response, I came, I showed up, and I started praying. When I started praying, I was thinking, I'm davening to Hashem. I'm talking to Hashem. I'm praying to Hashem. That's the general kavana. You need to have that in mind when you daven, because if a person just opens up a prayer book and starts reading for Hebrew fluency... Even though they're saying the words, that's not prayer because there's no intention there of praying to Hashem. And so this is indispensable. You definitely have to have in mind that you're talking to Hashem at least when you start your prayers. Then there's another level of praying with intention and that is having in mind the meaning of the words as you pray. Of course, this is the optimum experience that you have in mind the meaning of the words when you pray and this helps our prayer experience. While this is the best way to pray, knowing and concentrating on every single word, if a person was not concentrating on the meaning of every single word, their prayer is still valid except for in a few places in tefillah, in davening. One place is during Pesuke de Zimra, during the prayer of Ashrei, there is a verse that says, that you open up your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. When you say that verse from Ashrei, you need to have in mind that Hashem is, gives special guard to fulfill the needs of His creatures. This is the intention that you need to have during Ashrei. And then, when we say the Shema prayer, for the very first pr- verse of Shema, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You need to have intention over there. You have to have, at the very least, the meaning of the words. Of course, there are many meditations just for that one sentence of Shema. But the basic meaning of Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You have to know what you're saying when you say those words. And then finally, during the Amidah, the first blessing of the Amidah that ends with Magen Avraham, the shield of Abraham, 
when you say those words, you should have in mind the meaning of those words. So if a person will say, you know what, I cannot have kavana while I daven. It's too much for me to pay attention, so therefore I won't daven. You're forgetting what prayer is about. So you're forgetting what it is to daven. Davening means responding to a godly summons. Davening means Hashem said, I want you to talk to me. So don't say, Hashem called me, but I'm not coming because I can't pay attention the whole time. That's not an excuse. Hashem said, come, so you show up. First of all, show up. And then afterwards, to have as much intention as you can. Sure, do as much as you can, but don't let better be the enemy of good. Good is showing up. Definitely show up to prayer. Kavana is how mindful you are of the process that's going on. Because when you respond to Hashem's summons to pray, that means that right now there's a conversation taking place. Objectively, not subjectively, objectively, there is a conversation taking place between you and Hashem. Kavana then becomes how aware are you of that relationship that's happening then. If somebody has utterly no Kavana and they're out to lunch as they say the words, what it is, is then a basic form of disrespect. You're talking to Hashem and you're not being mindful of the relationship. But all this cannot get in the way of just showing up for prayer. So that's what it means, praying with intention. But even if you're going to say, you know what, I'm never going to pray with intention, let's keep in mind the universal concepts that apply to our general service of Hashem that these concepts spell out, that this chapter spells out. And that is really dealing with hypocrisy. And this is a very key issue that people deal with all the time. Right now, I'm doing something good. I'm studying Torah. I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I have thoughts that I shouldn't have, sinful thoughts. Is this hypocrisy? What's going on? So the altar is going to help us deal with that issue. So if these thoughts come to him during prayer or Torah study, He should pay them no attention, but avert his mind from them immediately. Don't start thinking, oh my goodness, a bad thought. Where did this thought come from? How should I deal with that? None of that. Just stop. You know that rhyme about the old lady who swallowed the fly? That's it. She shouldn't have swallowed the next thing to swallow the fly. You swallow the fly, but move on. It's going to be a mistake to start tracing the thought and wondering where did this come from? The first thing you do when this thought disturbs you while you're doing a good thing. So you're in the middle of doing a good thing. You're doing something noble and virtuous. You're doing something holy. You're responding to the divine command. And suddenly some inner darkness is rattling in within you. And you're like shocked. Oh my gosh, I thought I'm good. And now I'm bad. Forget about it. Just ignore it. Keep moving. Nor should he be so foolish as to engage in sublimation of the medot, of the extraneous thought. So this is a pretty interesting concept, okay? There would be two ways for us to deal with a thought that comes our way. Well, three ways. The first way is what the Altar Rebbe told us. Just ignore it. Don't deal with it at all. Just ignore it. But if a person were to deal with it, how would he deal with it? So one way would be to try to sublimate the midot, raise the thought, and we'll talk about it. And the other way would be to feel despicable and dejected because you were visited by this thought while you were doing something holy, something is wrong. So now we're looking at the concept of elevating a thought. 
anytime we have a thought, there's really an emotion propelling that thought in our minds. Any thought that is worth enough for us to ruminate, to be musing about, it means that there's an emotion propelling that thought in our mind. There's some type of emotional connection that we have. Sometimes it's very overt. You're thinking about a delicious food you want to eat. Right over there, there's an emotion. There's an emotion of love. Sometimes it's you're, you're fearful of something or you're feeling hatred or contempt. Right over there, you know that there is an emotion involved. It's the emotion of givura, of strength, of severity. Sometimes you're just making business plans. You don't know that there's an emotion overtly propelling that thought. But if you go dig deeper, you'll find that there's an emotion that's propelling the thought. Okay, so every single thought is propelled by an emotion. Emotions are neutral. In their pure form, they're raw. They're neither good nor bad. Earlier in Tanya, we learned about the seven emotions, and the Alter Rebbe, using Kabbalistic language, called them the Shiv'as Yemei Habinyan, the seven days of construction. The world was created in six days, but there's the seventh day, the day of Shabbos. So these are called the seven days of construction. And each of these days are typified by a midah, an emotion. The first day was the emotion of kindness. The second day was the emotion of gevura, of severity, of rejection. The third day was teferas, harmony, compassion. Each of these days is characterized by one of the seven midot. And anything that was created on that day has this, shares this same theme of the midah. Now, the Baal Shem Dev, in speaking about this, says, look at how, the, uh, how creation is recounted. It says, Vayahi Erev, Vayahi Biker. And it was evening and it was morning. That's how it is with the seven emotions. Each of these emotions has an evening aspect and has a morning aspect. Erev, evening, is also related to the word Ta'arevis, which means a mixture, mixture of good and evil. Boker, morning, is also related to the word Bikor, which means visiting or seeking out, seeking out Hashem. Each expression can be expressed in a healthy way, in a holy way, in a good and pure way, or it can be expressed in a negative and evil way. But if you were to look at the thought and find what the driving emotion is, then this is what the Baal Shem Tov teaches. Take that emotion that was being expressed in a corrupt way and redirect it so that it is expressed in a holy way. Like, for example, a person is dreaming of non-kosher food. Here is a desire that is unholy. So what they do is they say, I'm thinking about something that brings me pleasure from the mundanities of the world. But do you know what the source of all pleasure is? Hashem is the greatest pleasure. So they take this love that was being expressed in an unholy way and they redirect it. They harness it to further their service of Hashem. Once the emotion is already activated, now is a good time to take it and refocus it in service of Hashem. So as we're going to see, this is not for us to do. This is dangerous and this is for a select group of individuals. But in general, the idea of channeling is very, very important. The Talmud tells us, speaking about different people who are born under different constellations, that a person who is born under the constellation of Mars will be a shedder of blood. And Rav Ashi said he could be a murderer, he could be a thief, he could be a bloodletter. 
He could be a ritual slaughterer. He can be somebody who circumcises, a mohel. So just because he's destined to shed blood, it doesn't mean he has to be bad. He can be a hero. He's a surgeon. He's a doctor. The idea of channeling is very, very important. Wendy Mogul, in her parenting book, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, advises parents to look at their child's trait that they find most annoying and see how this trait could actually be their greatest strength. Like you think your child is very persistent because she's constantly nudging? Well, realize that this persistence, this is a great gift of not giving up. She'll go very far in life. So sometimes you see something as annoying, but see it that really in its purest state, it is neutral and it could be directed either for good or God forbid for evil. Channeling is very important. There's a story of a couple that came with their daughter in the 1950s for a private audience with the Rebbe. And after the husband and wife finished speaking to the Rebbe, the Rebbe turned to the little girl and asked her if she had any questions. And she was about to speak and her parents wanted her to be quiet because they didn't want to take too much of the Rebbe's time. And the Rebbe encouraged her to speak. So she asked the Rebbe, atomic energy, is it good or bad? And so the Rebbe asked her, your kitchen has a knife. Is it good or is it bad? And she said, well, if it's used for cutting food, it's good. And if it's used for hurting somebody, then it's bad. And the Rebbe said, that's right. You gave a very good and true answer. And that's how it is with atomic energy. And in fact, that's how it is with all of technology. If we use it for good, then it's good. And if God forbid we use it for bad, then it's bad. So this is generally the idea of channeling. And we always have to take whatever we have and use it to serve Hashem. But now we're already speaking about a thought that has come in a corrupted state. A thought that is now an expression of evil. How are we meant to deal with that thought? Looking at the writings of the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov taught about finding what is the core emotion in this thought and redirect it. But these writings of the Baal Shem Tov, a few of his students wrote about this, that it, these writings were meant for a select circle, for people who don't have evil within them. But these writings became available to a wider audience and they were never meant for that wider audience. This is dangerous. Don't try this at home. You have to have a certain soul structure in order to be effective in this area. Okay, so you should not be foolish to engage in the sublimation of the midot, the extraneous thoughts. Kanaida, as is known, that one can overcome extraneous thoughts by elevating the source, their source. So I'm going to read the explanation paragraph here. For every such thought stems from one of the midot of the animal soul. For example, the midah of love in the animal soul gives rise to one's lustful thoughts. The midah of fear gives rise to hatred and to fears inappropriate to him and so on. It is therefore written that when one is disturbed by such a thought, he should determine which midah is its source and should then refocus that midah on the spiritual aspects of the object of his thoughts. For example, if the extraneous thought is a desire for some physical object, one should contemplate that the desirability of the object which he craves is actually a manifestation of the divine power that made it desirable, beautiful, tasty, or whatever. Then rather than applying his desire, meaning his mida of love, to the object's physical sheath, he should direct it to godliness that underlies it. He will thereby elevate the corresponding mida of his animal soul to its divine source and thus destroy the evil in the thoughts caused by the mida leaving only the sparks of holiness embedded in them. This is what is meant by sublimating 
the midot, in order to overcome extraneous thoughts. For the Benoni, however, such an exercise would be sheer foolishness, as the Alter Rebbe explains presently. For such things were intended only for tzaddikim. Tzaddikim have a different inner structure. They were able to eradicate their evil. They are able to deal with these kind of things. The Midrash tells us something very interesting. The Midrash says like this. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says, A person shouldn't say, I don't want to eat pork. A person shouldn't say, I don't want to wear shotness. That's the forbidden mixture of wool and linen. What should he say? He should say, I want to, afshi, but my father in heaven said I can't. Okay, now, the Alter Rebbe, the Bahatanya, speaks about this, and he quotes his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, and he said, this teaching of saying, afshi, I want to, but my father in heaven said I can't, is only for somebody who never tasted sin. If you never tasted sin, if you haven't experienced sin as a personal experience, then you can afford to say, I want to. But somebody who already tasted sin, they can't afford to say, I want to. That is dangerous. That could suck them in. It's much like a drug addict should never be saying, oh, you know, I want to, but my father in heaven said I can't. Oh, no, no, you don't want to. You better not say you want to because that's dangerous. That might lead you down a dangerous path. A friend of mine who did teshuva, started out not knowing much about Judaism and eventually became fully religious, told me that at one point in her journey, she and her husband had this kind of discussion. Is it okay to sit down with somebody who doesn't keep kosher and discuss non-kosher foods that they once enjoyed and say this is delicious? No, you can't. You can't do that because you already have emotional ties to that. It's very, very dangerous to go down that path. If you already have an emotional tie, chances are instead of you elevate it, it's going to drag you down. This is a dangerous exercise and it's meant for somebody who has the sole structure of not having an attraction to evil. A tzaddik is like the adult. The adult is not dreaming about childhood games because he doesn't care about them. The tzaddik not only doesn't he care about evil, he abhors evil. It's disgusting. Imagine he's totally in love with Hashem and evil means this is against Hashem. If you're totally in love with Hashem, you hate anything that's against Hashem. If you love your child like crazy and then, God forbid, somebody doesn't like your child, you don't like that person. Because when you love your child, you hate somebody who hates them. So this is the relationship that a tzaddik has with Hashem. He's so in love with Hashem. He doesn't have evil within him. He hates anything that's against Hashem. His soul structure is in such a way that he, evil is abhorrent to him. He doesn't have an emotional attachment to it. She'en naiflim lahem shalahem ki im Michel Acherem, in whom there do not occur any evil thoughts of their own evil midot, but only from the midot of others. Since the tzaddik has transformed the midot of his animal soul to good, no evil thoughts can arise from them. Any evil thought that may arise in his mind stems from the midot of others. For another individual whose soul root is connected with this tzaddik finds himself in difficulty combating his own evil midot and requires assistance. This person's evil thought is therefore planted in the mind of the tzaddik, though in the form of mere abstract letters of thought without any feeling of evil attached to it. The tzaddik, 
recognizing the source of this thought redirects it towards the spiritual realm as explained above and thereby elevates the meter once it stems thus enabling his fellow jew to overcome his evil midot but only the tzaddik can accomplish this since he himself possesses no evil midot so this is really an interesting concept the idea of a tzaddik earlier in tanya in chapter two we looked at the jewish people their souls the souls of the jewish people compose one form a kaimashlema a complete form so there is the hands there are the hands there are the feet there's the head there's the heart the tzaddikim are called rashi alfe yisrael the heads of the multitudes of israel just like the head feels what's going on with the rest of the body a tzaddik feels what's going on with other jewish people the tzaddik is a very interesting journey and as the more we think about and discuss a tzaddik we're like hey aren't they lucky they don't even have evil within them but they have a whole different journey and their journey is one of we all have responsibility towards each other but theirs is one of huge responsibility because a tzaddik has to contend with the thoughts the evil thoughts of those around them Later on in Tanya, in Igeris HaTshuva, the Alter Rebbe quotes from a Kabbalistic work, Sefer Asara Ma'amares, and he says that an atmosphere of Gan Eden surrounds each person, and in that atmosphere are imprinted his holy thoughts, his holy words, his words of prayer and Torah study. Similarly, if God forbid somebody sins, they have an atmosphere of Gehenna surrounding them as well. And in that atmosphere of Gehenna that surrounds them, are imprinted their negative thoughts and their negative words that they said or that they expressed. A tzaddik senses the thoughts, not just senses, but experiences the thoughts of those that he is close to and those in his environment. It's very interesting because one of the Rebbe's secretaries said that you have to remember the Rebbe's secretaries spent a whole day with him. So when you walked by the Rebbe, you were very, very focused the whole time with that short encounter. But somebody who spent a whole day with the Rebbe, it was hard to be on top of their game the whole day, right? So he was driving the Rebbe, and if suddenly he had a straight thought, all of a sudden the Rebbe would look up at him. He was like, oh no! Because they experience, a tzaddik experiences our thoughts. We are not able to sublimate the midot that come in our evil thoughts, and that's not our job. What we need to do when an evil thought comes our way while we're worshiping Hashem, we need to ignore it and move on. But this becomes the work of the tzaddik. The tzaddik must contend with that thought. The tzaddik must take that thought and identify the driving mida and elevate that for Hashem. And Bishdainzals gives a very interesting analogy for this. He says like this, in order to objectively understand a thought a desire, a fear, you have to be outside of that thought, desire, or fear. Somebody who is trapped within that thought, within that desire, within that fear, cannot elevate it because he's held within the clutches of that thought. It's, for example, imagine a work of art depicting an attack dog so realistically that it leaves the viewer terrorized. You cannot analyze that work of art objectively when you're held in terror and sheer and in dread of the attack dog in the picture. So that's us with our own 
evil thoughts. We cannot elevate them because we're held emotionally tied to them. So what we need to do is we need to run away. We need to leave it alone. Forget about it. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's bound to harm us. But a tzaddik doesn't experience the emotion with a thought. He's like the doctor or the psychologist who can objectively look at the scene and then do the proper surgery. So that work is left for the tzaddik. For us, the altar of us uses very strong words. He says, don't be a fool. Stay away from this. This is silly behavior. This is for its tzaddik. You have to know what's your job. But as for one, meaning the benoni, to whom there occurs an evil thought of his own, from the evil that is lodged in the left part of his heart, meaning the evil midot of his animal soul, how can he raise it up? To the realm of the, to the spiritual realm, when he himself is bound below by desire for the material, he's bound below. How is he able to raise it up above? The Talmud has an expression: "Ein A prisoner cannot generally release himself from jail. You cannot pick your own self up by the hairs of your head. It doesn't work that way. When you are at the same level of the thought, you cannot elevate the thought. This work is for a tzaddik, but us who still struggles emotionally and is emotionally attached to that thought, it's not our job to elevate it. We are within the web of it. We need to let it go. We need to leave that work, that practice, that exercise for the tzaddik. So we've, we've covered this idea. Definitely when it comes to the thought that comes to our mind, not to try and elevate it. We, we're, we're clear on that. This is a work specifically designed for the tzaddik. So then we're going to look at option two. If we are not meant to elevate it, perhaps we should be sad about it. Perhaps this is a sign from above that while we're trying to serve Hashem, we're really not there yet. And this thought that's visiting us and disturbing us while we're serving Him, maybe that's a sign that we're not there yet. We need to do teshuva. We need to fix some inner corruption so that we can serve Hashem. And the altar is going to tell us, no, no, this too is not the way. Keep on with my first piece of advice, and that is to ignore it. Don't feel down about it. Nevertheless, he must not be downhearted, nor feel dejected and despicable because of this occurrence of extraneous thoughts during his service of Hashem when he ought to be most joyous. So don't think that this is a jolting reminder from above that you're really corrupt and you're inauthentic and that you don't really feel it, so you should be sad and take this to heart. No, no, no. What are you doing right now? You're in the middle of serving Hashem. I, Joni, I see that you put a question. I'm going to get to it as soon as I finish the thought. What are we in the middle of doing right now? We're in the middle of serving Hashem. What did David HaMelech say from Tehillim? We said this a few times. Serve Hashem with joy. How did the Arizal explain to us the thought of Since you did not serve Hashem, your God, with joy and gladness of heart, out of an abundance of everything. When you serve Hashem, it has to be with more joy than if you had an abundance of everything. Definitely, definitely, definitely. What are you doing right now? You're serving Hashem. What do you need to be doing when you're serving Hashem? You need to be in a state of sheer joy. So are you supposed to take this as a message to be sad? Oh, absolutely not. You're serving Hashem. You have to be happy. 
Okay, so not to be sad, we have to be very happy when we serve Hashem. On the contrary, he should draw fresh strength and intensify his determination with all his power to pray with concentration, with even greater joy or gladness. So you were visited by this stray thought. Well, here's a reason to renew your energy Pray with greater concentration and even greater joy. Why? In the realization that the foreign thought which occurred to him derives from the klipa of the left part of the heart, which wages war within the benoni against the divine soul within him. We have to take this into perspective over here. What's going on? What's going on is that there's a war. We learned in the beginning of Tanya that there's two souls, not one soul, but two souls. We have an animal soul and we have a divine soul. In chapter 9, we learned that both these souls wage war to gain dominion over the person. So what's happening right now? There's a war. Where are these stray thoughts coming from? They're coming from the animal soul. Why is the animal soul throwing these crazy thoughts in your mind? Because... He's fighting against your divine soul that's very strongly engaged right now. You see what's happening? Your divine soul is very, very engaged. It's a very interesting experience that people have. That specifically when they're praying with proper concentration, specifically when they are doing something very good, that's when they will experience worse thoughts than when they were doing nothing at all. It's a very interesting thing that the worst thoughts might come to a person when they're doing something holy. But now that we understand this principle, we understand why. It's really the animal soul is fighting back. The divine soul right now is working very hard. It's gaining leverage. Because it's gaining leverage, the, the animal soul is suddenly feeling threatened. And so it's fighting back. That's not a reason to be happy. That, that's not a reason to be dejected. That's not a reason to feel inauthentic. That's a reason to up your game. You're doing a great job. There's a story, a story slash joke of an innkeeper who did very, very well in business. He had a very thriving inn and he lived a full life. He passed away. He left his inn to his son. The innkeeper himself was a very God-fearing man. His son, not so much. And when his son took over the business, his business didn't do so well. He was very upset. This was such a good business that my father left me and suddenly the business isn't doing so well. I'm going to go speak to the rabbi. So he goes to the rabbi and he said, look, this is a problem. The business that my father had thriving is just not thriving when I'm in it. And he said, tell me, what was your father's practice when he had no customers in the store? He said, oh, my father, when there were no customers in the store, he took out a Talmud. He studied Torah. He took out a Tehillim. He read the verses from Psalms. That's what he did when there was no customers. And he said, now you, what do you do when there are no customers in the store? He said, me, whatever, I, I do lighthearted activities. I have fun. He said, well, now you understand. Every time your father took out a Talmud, the evil inclination felt threatened. And so he quickly sent customers in the store. But when you don't have any customer, when you don't have any customers, he doesn't feel threatened. He doesn't see the need to send you customers. Of course, this is like in humor, but this is the principle working over here. And that is, it's Newton's third principle of motion, right? The third law of motion. And that is for every 
react for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction the divine soul is picking up his game over here so what does the animal deal soul do he's feeling very threatened he's throwing stray thoughts in your mind these stray thoughts are not a reason to feel sad it's not a reason to feel dejected or despicable it's a good sign it means that there's a good positive action and therefore he's trying to get back at you with a negative reaction this is a sign not that your service is inauthentic this is a sign that your service is very authentic good job you're working hard you're making your animal soul feel threatened so now we know how to deal with it. We know how to deal with it that we are not supposed to pay it any attention. We're supposed to totally divert our attention. We're not supposed to try to elevate it. No, no, that's the province of the tzaddik. And we're not supposed to feel sad about it. But now we're further exploring how we are to view ourselves in light of the fact that we are experiencing these kind of thoughts. And this is what the author of is telling us right now. It's not a sign that you're a hypocrite. It's a sign that you're doing your game properly. And this is really a good new perspective because so many of us, almost every human being, I think, anybody who's honest with themselves, at one point feels certain feelings of hypocrisy. And isn't it so interesting that we feel hypocritical specifically when we're doing something good? When somebody's doing something good, then they feel like a hypocrite. And they're like, you know, I'm doing this good thing and maybe I'm really not on that level maybe I shouldn't be doing it why is it the good thing that's making you feel hypocritical why isn't it the bad that's making you feel hypocritical that's what should be making you feel hypocritical because that's not who you are anytime you do something bad that's not in line with your divine soul that's what should make you feel like a hypocrite that's when you're being a hypocrite you're not giving voice to your transcendent self so it's very very important to shift that it's like suddenly we want to drop the good thing that we did because we feel hypocritical that makes no sense don't you see how this is another military tactic of the Sitra Ahura, of the dark side, trying to make us feel like a hypocrite when we're doing something good, we have to forget about it. That's just another strategy of his. We have to remember that when we're doing something holy, we're in the middle of something good, we're praying with concentration, we're studying Torah, we're doing any other good thing, and then suddenly we're visited by evil thoughts within us, that's not a sign that we're a hypocrite. That's a sign that we're waging good war against the darkness within us. It is known that in, it is the way of combatants who seek to destroy and similarly of wrestlers who aim to merely topple one another. That when one is gaining the upper hand, the other likewise exerts himself with all the resources of his strength in order to prevail. So imagine two combatants, two wrestlers, or two enemies facing each other with their arms folded. If one is sleeping or still, the other one doesn't feel the need to make a move. But if one of them suddenly lunges forward, the other one has to quickly fight back. That's what's happening now. There's a war going on. We have to remember because we always struggle with darkness. We constantly have a war. If our divine voice is suddenly gaining victory, then it only is normal and natural for the other side to start speaking up and try to throw bad thoughts in our mind as a reaction to fight back. Therefore, in the battle, when the divine soul and the animal soul, when the divine soul exerts itself and musters all of its strength in prayer, thereby to weaken 
or even vanquish the animal soul. The klipa of the animal soul too gathers strength to counter it, aiming to confuse and topple the divine soul by means of a foreign thought of its own. So Kabbalah teaches us, The time of prayer is the time of war. When Yaakov Avinu, our father Jacob, tells his son Joseph, Yosef, that he is giving him an extra portion over his brothers, he says, I'm giving you Shechem Echad, one portion over your brothers that I took from the Amorim, from the Amorites, Bacharbi Uvakashti, with my sword and with my bow. Unkelos, the famous translator who translated the Torah into Aramaic, translates Bacharbi Uvakashti with my sword and with my bow as Bitslaisi Uviva Usi, with my prayer and with my supplication. What is his sword? What is his arrow? That is his prayers. Time of prayer is a time of war. Why is it a time of war? Because when we pray, we are thinking about Hashem. We are contemplating his greatness. We are trying to do a perception upgrade. Our animal soul is sunken in materialism. It has a very physical, gross, coarse perspective. It's a very self-centered, self-conscious being. And all it cares about is itself. Every time we pray, we're trying to refine our animal soul and give ourselves a new awareness of the true presence and only reality of Hashem. Hashem is the only reality. He is infinite, we are finite, we are nothing. And so every time we pray, there's a struggle going on. We're trying to give a perception upgrade to our animal soul, that our everyday consciousness should be pervaded by the greatness of Hashem. The animal soul says, ignorance is bliss. It doesn't want a perception upgrade, and so it resists being upgraded. When we were in high school, our teacher was teaching us about the laws of bris milah. I think it came up in Chumash. And, and so he said to us, you know, fads always change. Sometimes the general population says circumcision is healthy. And sometimes the general population says circumcision is unhealthy. Like, for example, the naturalists now are saying circumcision is unhealthy. So we were in ninth grade and somebody raised their hand and said, naturalists, what are naturalists? Now, no offense to naturalists because I actually don't know what naturalists are. But he jokingly said... Oh, those are the people, naturalists, those are the people who are trying to stay as stupid as they were when they were born. So that's our animal soul, trying to stay as stupid as it was when we were born. No, we don't want to do that. We want to uplift our animal soul. We're trying to refine our animal soul. We're trying to make it aware of the all-pervading presence of Hashem. Well, guess what? It's resisting. It's a time of war. So as we try to elevate it, It fights back and it throws these crazy thoughts in our mind. It doesn't mean we're a hypocrite. It doesn't mean we're inauthentic. Actually, just the opposite. It means we're doing a great job. It means we need to now intensify our concentration concentration, and even more joy than we had originally. We should have even more joy when we pray. The clip of the animal soul, soul too gathers strength to counter it, aiming to confuse and topple the divine soul by means of a thor- foreign thought of its own. The animal soul, sensing, in, 
sensing danger and the divine soul's increased efforts in prayer with devotion contrives to jar one's concentration by conjuring up assorted foreign thoughts in his mind thus the appearance of an extraneous thought during prayer indicates that one's devotion was of sufficient quality to give the animal soul cause for concern and this realization itself should gladden one and encourage him to continue his efforts so i'm going to wrap up what we said until now and then i'll open for questions and discussion we began a new chapter chapter 28 began the idea of how are we supposed to relate to a sinful thought or an extraneous thought that disturbs us when we're in the middle of praying with concentration when we're in the middle of torah study or mitzvah performance so one thought might be hey there's an activated emotion here emotions themselves like we know aren't bad they're just raw they have to be channeled oh no no don't even try it right now this emotion is already being expressed in a corrupt way and you have an emotional attachment to it it is not your job to elevate this emotion what you need to do is totally divert attention from it who is meant to elevate emotions only tzaddikim who have no emotional connection to evil because they eradicated their evil within them okay so option one is no don't even think of elevating the thought option two maybe i should be really sad this is disturbing me when i'm during worship maybe it means i'm inauthentic oh no no don't feel sad you're in the middle of worship exactly now is when you're supposed to be so happy when we serve hashem we have an immense privilege and that should be with joy so if you were concentrating with a certain amount of joy until now now you should intensify your concentration and have even more joy when you pray don't take this as a sign that your prayer is inauthentic take this as a sign that you're doing a very good job that your animal soul is feeling threatened right now because your divine soul is winning so don't feel inauthentic now you should intensify your energies throw yourself back into the goodness and into the holiness that you were doing and realizing that you're not a hypocrite you're giving voice to your divine soul and of course your animal soul is feeling threatened that's okay that's a good sign as long as you have evil within you when it speaks up in response to your holiness it means it's feeling threatened it means you're doing a very good job so that's where we are until now and i'm opening up for questions and discussion everybody's on mute so if you have something to say please unmute your microphone i have a question yeah sheila so when we're talking about not redirecting our thoughts because only a saudi could do that but yeah if we're in the midst of dumb and stuff comes into our mind and then we do redirect because then we try to bring it back into what we're doing and into the dot. Okay, so, so I direction of thought. So re- redirect is absolutely we need to redirect. Redirect means go back into your sitter, keep focusing. But don't try to channel the energy in the thought. Don't try to say, well, right now I'm feeling an attraction to something unholy. Let me channel this attraction now to Hashem. No, because now you are getting stuck in the mud. We're going to visit this thought more fully as the chapter develops, but we're getting stuck in the mud. We can't do that. As soon as the thought visits us, we need to say, oh, no, no, I'm redirecting my attention. I'm ignoring the thought and I'm refocusing my attention. And a very easy way, sure and tried method to redirect your attention is look inside the sitter, focus on the words. You got, you got stuck up in some type of thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking? Forget about it. Don't say, why am I thinking this thought? Where is this thought coming from? Just put your concentration right back in the scissor. Redirect your attention, but don't try to rechannel the actual thought. 
So there's a redirection and there's elevation. Right. 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 So redirect your thoughts. Harness your thoughts like your horse is going the wrong way. Grab the reins and put it back on the right road. But don't try to take the expression of the Mida. Don't t- try to take that raw emotion and channel it for holiness. Because now that's already been expressed in corrupt form, you have to leave it alone. You have an emotional attachment to it. Let it go. Let it sadik handle that. And you redirect your attention to your prayers. <laughs>